We're going to be talking about rhythm today because uh, this is my favorite time of year. Anybody else agree? Anybody else is your favorite time of year? All right, a few of you around the room. Okay, it is sort of fall, which means it's getting cooler. Theoretically, not actually, but theoretically, it's supposed to be starting to get cooler. And for those of you that are in public school, school started back this week, and I love that. I mean, summer is fun and all. We have, a, we have a great time. It's kind of all over the place. Different, every week is different, and that's fun for a little bit of time. But let me tell you, I love when we get back in rhythm. We start setting our schedule. Things become regular, and things become normalized. There's just a sense of normalcy that happens. And uh, I find that life is a little bit like music, in that rhythm matters. Have you ever watched somebody try to dance who doesn't have rhythm? It matters. It matters. You should know that. It matters. <laughs> it does. We were uh, actually, so my wife, um, although she has a beautiful singing voice, she won't admit that. She does. Um, but she's not a, a music, she doesn't have a lot of knowledge about music. Okay, that's not her thing. She has knowledge about a lot of other things. It's not her thing. But we were in the car the other day listening to the radio, and they were transitioning from one song to another one, and they did a crossfade over the top of each other. But the problem was that the song that was ending still had rhythm in it, and the song that was starting had rhythm at the beginning. And so they crossed over, and it wasn't the same. And even Jess, who has limited musical knowledge, is that fair? That's fair. Okay, even she who has limited musical knowledge just went, well, that wasn't good. (laughs) Because when things are out of rhythm, you don't have to be musical to know that that's happening. You don't have to be musical to know that when things are out of rhythm, it feels like chaos. Has anybody's life ever been out of rhythm and felt like chaos? Anybody? Yeah, that's the whole summer for me. I don't know about when that might be for you. But yeah, when things aren't clicking, when things aren't moving along, when things are disrupted, it makes everything feel out of joint. And it's one of the reasons I love this time of year is because we all start falling into rhythms. Get it? Falling into rhythms. I titled the message. I never tell you what the title of the message is, but today I was proud of it. Falling into rhythm is the title of the message today. And uh, I want to talk about, as we're going into this new season and we're rethinking how our schedules are planned, what our calendar looks like, how to set that in a way that will make you feel like you're in rhythm and like you're honoring God. Because God cares about these things. See, the way that we set our schedule, the way that we spend our time, will determine ultimately how much glory we bring to Him. So He cares about what our calendar looks like, what our schedule looks like. And if you're not careful... Saying yes to good things will cause you to have to say no to great things. And so we need to make sure that we got the right things, the most important things, into our calendar and that it's set for us. So what I want to do today, I'm going to talk about four rhythms that are essential in our life if we want to bring honor and glory to God. And if you feel like your life is in chaos right now, which might be the case for some of you, then Looking at these four things and figuring out which one is out of rhythm might help you to understand how to get things back in sync. All right, so the first one is the rhythm of productivity. The rhythm of productivity. Now, I know uh, work is an essential part of a lot of our lives. We got to work because if we don't work, there's no food for people to eat in our house and people need food to eat in our house. Otherwise, they might leave or they might stay. No, that's... I'm not going to go there. Okay, so 
sorry, you don't want to know where my brain was just going. I'm going to switch gears. So uh, we have to work, many of us. We have jobs. We got to get, earn a paycheck, put food on the table. But when I talk about the rhythm of productivity, I'm not just talking about work. That's a part of it. You see, you are wired by God to be productive. And you are wired by God to be fulfilled, to feel satisfaction when you're being productive. Now that could be at work. And if it is, that's a fantastic thing. I hope it is when you're at work, but it could be a lot of things. It could be in your schoolwork if you're a student, or it could be in extracurricular activities you're a part of, or it might be the work that you want to accomplish in your family this fall, or it might be work that you want to accomplish in the community this fall. But all of you have tasks that God wants you to accomplish, and you will feel fulfilled when you're being productive in doing those things. And I think we know intrinsically that this is true. Uh, It's the sense of satisfaction that you get with a job well done. You know what I'm talking about? Like one of the things I love to do is woodworking. And so let's say I decided what I wanted to do was build a table. And so I picked out the lumber that I wanted to use and I designed the plan and I cut everything to length and I got it all planed and jointed and all the stuff you got to do. I figured out what kind of joinery I was going to use to put it together. And I finally assembled the table and I put a finish on it that I thought I would be happy with. And when I get done with that table and all the blood and all the, there will be blood, all the blood and the sweat and the tears, there will also be tears that would go into building a table like that. Finally, when I'm done, I stand back from it and I just get this sense of, satisfaction. Like, I did that. I built that. That would not exist had I not done that. So maybe it's not a table for you. Maybe it's a paper for school. And you put a lot of research and effort into that paper and you, you organized it and you got the flow of ideas just right in your sections and your headings and you wrote it and you started with great topic sentences and great conclusion sentences. That's what you do when you're writing, right, Jess? Okay, good. Thank you. I want to make sure I got that right. So I haven't been in school in a long time. But they, uh, you, you get the paper all done and you finally turn it in. And when you look at that thing and you realize, wow, this thing's like 50 pages long. How did I write something that long? You look, you sit back and you look at it and you just think, wow. You just get this sense of satisfaction for a job well done. It might be for a conversation that you've been really nervous about having. And you've been trying to build up the courage to actually have the conversation. There's tension between you and the other person, but you finally say, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so you sit down with them to have the conversation and it's hard and you work through exactly what you wanted to work through. But when you get done and you walk away, you feel so much better because you feel like you've made progress. We are wired by God to feel satisfaction when we're productive. And so your life should include a rhythm of productivity. That might be work or it might be something else. But you need to be accomplishing something. There needs to be a product from your life. There should be a rhythm of that in your life. It's built into us. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God has created the the heavens and the earth and he's created man. And then it says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work it. I mean, part of the reason that God created human beings in the first place was to take care of the creation, to produce, to care for. And so when we're doing that, we're really leaning into part of what we were created to be in the, in the first place. It's built into your DNA. And so this fall, as you're thinking about your rhythms and how you schedule your time and how you're planning your calendar, I want you to think about what, not just what you're doing, think about what you're producing. 
And I want to let you in in on a little secret. You won't hear everywhere. You will experience the most satisfaction when what you're producing brings glory to God. Way more than if it didn't. You know, I can, I can build a table for myself and I get a sense of satisfaction about that. But if I build a table so that someone else's family can sit around it and experience time together and I do that for the glory of God, there's a lot more satisfaction that comes out of that than doing it for myself. If I write a paper about biology, there's a certain sense of satisfaction that comes out of that. But if I write a paper about biology that describes to people the glory of God's creation that can be seen in the natural world, there's a lot more satisfaction that comes out of that than the former. And if I have a conversation with someone that resolves a problem we're going through, that does give me a sense of satisfaction. But there's a lot more satisfaction that comes out of a conversation where we walk out feeling closer spiritually, where I've helped that person take a step spiritually, or I have. You see, you will experience more satisfaction when that productivity is bringing glory to God than if you're not. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Say, I want to honor you, God, with what I'm doing. He'll show you exactly how to do that. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Which I know may sound a little strange, but let me put some feet on that for you. That we believe as Christians that this life and what we're experiencing right now is temporary. We believe that although Jesus, he died on the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven, that Jesus is returning. And when he returns, he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. And when that happens, we're going to have roles and responsibilities and work to do when he returns. And what he's doing right now is he's watching us to see how faithful we're going to be now with what he's given us. So he knows how much responsibility to give us later. Like when Jesus told the parable of the talents, that's what he was talking about. The story of men who were given money by a master and the master went away. And when he came back, he found that some of them had been faithful with what they'd been given and one of them had not. And the two that were faithful with what they were given received rewards all right, in, in uh, comparison or connection with what they were entrusted with. And so we, God is watching us and how faithful we are. And so when we are working to bring glory to him, we're productive to bring glory to him. There's reward that's waiting for us. And it's not just some intangible thing later on. It's a real responsibility that will be coming later. And so when I am, when I'm, if God says, I want you to build this table and I work on building this table, he's watching me the whole time to see how I'm doing it how well I'm doing it, what kind of heart I'm putting into it, what my motivations are, how much energy and passion I'm pouring into this thing. And not necessarily what the product is, but how I go through that process of working, how I engage with that. All right, you're showing yourself faithful. So set a rhythm of productivity. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So set a rhythm of work. You need to do that. I know there are some of us that it's hard to get motivated to work, all right? So you need to get that motivation going and set a rhythm of work. Um, But then on the other side of it, there are some of us, it's not hard to get us motivated to work. It's hard to get us motivated to stop. And that's why the second rhythm is the rhythm of rest. You need a rhythm of rest. Uh, Some of you, 
you, I would imagine, in the room, many of you, I, I would imagine, are like me, um, and it's harder to get me to stop than to get me to start when it comes to working. If left up to myself, I will work all the time. I will, my mind will always be going, I'll always be thinking, I'll always be working, I'll always have my computer up in front of me, and so what I need to do is I need to learn that the world does not depend on me, and I need to learn how to rest. This is one of my big challenges. So for those of you in the room that are, that are workaholics, let me just offer a soft word of encouragement. I give this to myself too. Cut it out. You, you shouldn't work all the time. It's not that you can't work all the time. Some of you have motors I can't believe. You could work all the time if given the opportunity, but you shouldn't work all the time. Even God, who has no need for rest, chose to rest when he was creating the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. Was God tired? Of course he wasn't tired. He's setting an example for us. You work and you rest. He rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then he even gives in the law to the nation of Israel. He commands them to keep a day of rest. It's called the Sabbath. And they weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Jesus even, uh, he shows us this too. He sent his uh, disciples out to do missionary work. And so he sends them off. They go off. They do amazing things. They finally come back to him. And Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. All the product, all the produce, the productivity that they'd experienced. It's crazy. And what does he say to them? He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. You guys have been working so hard, you need to take a breath. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Have you ever been so, <laughs> get ready. Have you ever been so busy at work you forgot to eat lunch? <laughs> Brenda said no. <laughs> yes, I mean, I have. I have. Listen, if you were working so hard that you forget to rest, and I know that's silly, you know, skipping lunch or whatever. Sometimes you got to do that. I get that. But sometimes you work so hard and you think so much depends on you that you forget to stop and take a breath. Part of, part of our restlessness is our own pride in the thought that the world will not go on if we don't continue working. And it's not true. And choosing to rest intentionally is an expression to God that we trust him to work when we're not. It's an expression of confidence in God. And, and basically, in a way, I'm saying when I choose to rest, the world doesn't revolve around me. It will not fall apart if I stop, if I don't check my email this hour. It'll be okay. And we choose to rest and recharge and rejuvenate. And so I want to encourage you as you're looking into the fall to plan rest. Make sure that you're getting it. And I don't mean, when I say rest, I want to be clear. I don't mean doing nothing. That's, for me, that's not rest. <laughs> doing, I'm sleeping if I'm doing nothing. But uh, resting is finding the thing that recharges you away from your work. Find the thing that recharges you away from your work. That might be vegging out in front of the TV. It might be laying in the bed. It might be sitting out and admiring the view on your back porch. It might be 
uh, a hobby that you have. I think we underestimate the power of hobbies, frankly. Um, hobbies, by the way, are the things that you love doing, but you're just not good enough to ever get paid to do. So that's all a hobby really is, uh, which is why like, woodworking is a hobby of mine. Um, but sometimes that is the thing that helps you to rest. It, it's not necessarily doing nothing. Um, I heard an old saying, I, think, I know it's true for me, and it might be true for you, and it might help you find the thing that helps you rest. An old saying, if you work with your mind, rest with your hands. And if you work with your hands, rest with your mind. Now, that's true for me. I work as a pastor. I work with my, my mind. So I, I think, I, I pray, I read, I write. I, I work with, with my brain most of the time, and it hurts most of the time, but I do it anyway. And so that, is, that story is true. When I'm resting, I rest by working with my hands. And it's crazy because people are like, how do you do it? You know, you do stuff as a pastor and then you go home and you've always got a project. Always ripping out a wall, doing, building furniture, doing drywall. Yes, I like doing drywall. Things, crawling under the house, working in the yard. You're always doing this. Aren't you exhausted? I'm like, no. This is great, you know. My body is tired, yes, but my mind gets to shut off and, or gets to refocus while I'm doing these things. And so I work with my mind, so I rest with my hands. That may be the case for you. Or maybe you work with your hands, and the way you need to rest is by being able to, to shut it down and to relax and to get away and to rest your body. Right, but we need a rhythm of rest. And, and for those of us that are naturally geared towards being workaholics, sometimes we feel a little bit of shame or guilt about resting Listen, there is no shame. Jesus, when he was doing his work, the most important work that can be done, he would at times, there would be crowds of people wanting him to heal them or teach them or feed them or whatever it was, and he would send them away so that he could go off by himself and pray. And I would submit to you that the best way to rest is in prayer. And so find a way to do that. I will often, when I'm building something, be praying as I'm doing it. But Jesus would send crowds away in order to pray. So no shame in you taking a break from the work to rest. And I would encourage you, now it's not a command to us, but um, I would encourage you to pick at least one day a week that is a day of rest. Now that might be a day of ministry, like it might be Sunday, you come to church, you do ministry, you rest, you spend time with family, you try not to to do that work, you know, that productive work on that day. But I would encourage you to pick one day, because there's something about, I don't know what it is, Part of a day is not the same as a full day, and it's not just about minutes. You know what I mean? If you can shut your brain off for, for an entire day, it's different than just picking part of a day. So, but we need a rhythm of rest, just like we need a rhythm of productivity. The third one, I think we're escalating in importance as we go through here, by the way. Um, the third one is a rhythm of relationships. Rhythm of relationships. Oh, actually, you know what? Before we do that, there is a verse I wanted to read. I missed it. I just realized I missed it. Um, But I want to read it because this is about rest. Because I think for some of you, if you knew this verse existed, it would be your life verse. Okay, and it might be after today. Like you might go get a vinyl made of this and stick it up in your living room wall. You ready? All right, Psalm 127, verses one and two. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. All right? God gives to his beloved sleep. So take a breath. Take a rest, okay? That's the rhythm of rest. Next one is the rhythm of relationships. Rhythm of relationships. Hear me clearly. The most important thing on earth is people. 
We get all wrapped up in our work. Sometimes we get wrapped up in our rest. But the most important thing on earth is people, relationships. And if our relationships aren't healthy, who cares if we're resting enough and who cares if we're being productive? Relationships are the most important thing that we have here. And it begins with your immediate family. Some of you are married and that would be your spouse first. Some of you have kids, that's your kids next. And then you have extended family from that. And then we have a church family. And that should be next on our priority list. We need to make sure that we're spending enough time with our family, with our church family, and then it extends out from there. We need to prioritize the time that we spend in those relationships. I think, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get direct here for a second, because I've had seasons of my life where this has been the case, and I know people that have lost their entire family over this problem. If you are so focused on productivity and work that your children are not getting the time that they need, your priorities are completely out of whack. And it's, you may feel like you can muscle through it for this season, but it is going to have an impact on you and them over the long term. Your number one responsibility When it comes to this right here, this life, what we're doing, your number one responsibility is to your family. Number one, more than rest and more than work. And so we need to make sure that we know how much time it takes for our kids to feel valued and cared for. We need to know that we know how much time it takes for our spouse to feel connected to us. And we need to set that time aside first before we begin rhythms of work or rest. And it's not just in our home, it's outside of our home. It's the relationships that we have with other people. You know, I feel like relationships in a way are a little bit like insurance. You don't really think about it till you need it. You know what I mean? Like you don't think about how much insurance you have or how, how much coverage you have until something breaks until something goes wrong, until you end up in the hospital. And that, then, you, then you become keenly aware of how much you have. But the problem is, by the time that happens, it's too late. <laughs> you either have it or you don't. I think relationships with people outside in our church family or outside of our church family are the same way. You don't think as much about those relationships that you have until you need them, until something breaks until you end up in the hospital, until somebody passes away, until something happens, until you're moving and you need people to come over and help you. You know, then, then you realize, then you find out who your friends are. But by then it's too late. And so if you want to do, Jesus said the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the most important things we need to do in life is surround ourselves with a network of people that we are caring for and are caring for us. People that are helping us to bring honor and glory to God in our life. And that should start in your family and then extend to your church family next. It needs to be a priority. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How to stir one another. In order to stir one another up, you got to be with one another. You can't stir one another up on your own. So we need to, get to get, we need to be in relationships with other people, and that takes intentionality. Choosing and identifying which relationships are most important, which environments are most important, and making sure they're getting the time that they need 
so that we can be healthy in our relationships with other people. So serve one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I want to encourage you to not only build family time into your schedule, which uh, might look like one of the most important things for our family, it's been very effective for us, is family dinner. And we've been through um, the summer when things are all over the place in the summer, and I don't feel like we sat down and had family dinner for like two months straight. And the other night we sat, we were able to sit down in the apartment that we're in right now, sit down real close together, and... um, and we eat dinner, and then we all do highs and lows, and everybody gets a chance to do their high from the day and their low from the day, and then we discuss the highs and lows and strategies to help for the next day and all this kind of stuff. But it's just time that we spend together as a family connecting with each other, and there is power in that. I know another family that does it. They call it downtime, sitting down at the table. So it's, we're sitting down together, so they call it downtime. But schedule that in. And then I want to encourage you also to schedule in time with your church family. And part of that is this what we're doing right now, spending time together in worship on, a, on an every week basis. And then part of that is a group of people that we connect with during the week. And these are really where we build our stronger relationships and connections with people. We're really helping each other to move forward in discipleship. We just call them groups here at the church. And so we're getting ready in a couple, week to, couple weeks to start up our groups for the fall. We're men's group, women's group, couples group, uh, Bible study group, uh, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, I'm meeting with a group of leaders this week, and we'll have that list finalized uh, either next week or the week after. We'll start those groups really, really soon. But it's a way that you can build that into your schedule. You go over to someone's house, do a Bible study together, pray together, and you're just developing relationships where you can encourage each other and move forward in your faith. And you got to schedule that in because if you don't schedule it in and make a commitment to it, it'll get swept up by everything else that comes along in life, everything else that wants to take your time and your attention. So you need to develop a rhythm of relationships. And then the fourth one, which is the most important rhythm for us to put in place this fall, is the rhythm of devotion. It's the rhythm of devotion. So I'll tell you right now, you didn't already know that I am devoted to fantasy football. It's true. I'm devoted to fantasy football. I love fantasy football. Um, Not more than my wife. I don't love it more than you. I don't love it more than my children. It's close. But, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, of course. No, I'm, I'm devoted to fantasy football. For those of you that don't know what that is, because I know some of you aren't familiar with this concept, fantasy football is where um, people who want to be athletic but aren't pretend to be athletic. <laughs> people who want to be involved in the sports world but don't have the talent or the experience to do it can be involved in the sports world and where people who don't feel important can suddenly feel important. So this is what fantasy football is. Basically what happens... Is, uh, is you have a, a league of people. We actually have a league here in the church. It's called Carolina Family Fight. Some of you are part of it. And with 14 teams, and I'm sorry we are full for the year, but next year if someone doesn't want to play, we'll have a spot for you. And, uh, and what you do is you're each a manager of a team. And we get together and we have a draft where we all pick players in order and you draft players, NFL players, onto your team. Like I have a quarterback and a couple running backs and a couple wide receivers and a defense and a kicker and you even have a kicker. So you get all that stuff on your team and a bench. And uh, then each week of the season, those players play and they get points based on their performance in real life. 
you know, I get fake points in fake life. And um, my, I go up against someone else and my point total for all my players goes up against their point total. Whoever wins, wins. And then you go to the end of the year. And I am devoted to fantasy football. All right, if you didn't need any more evidence than this, I won last year. <laughs> so I am the reigning Super Bowl champion of Carolina Family Fight as it stands right. <laughs> What's that? I'm also the commissioner. That doesn't mean it's rigged. It's just that I'm passionate. I might have some control issues. But anyway, so I'm devoted. So what I did this year is I did research on all the players. I was watching things that were happening in training camp. I came into our draft, which was last Sunday night. I came into our draft and I had my spreadsheets and I had my research done and I have a plan. I use a tiered system in order to draft players. And I drafted my team and I felt really good about my team. And then we went home and we got the report cards, the, the, the drafting service sends you a report card on how well you did according to the numbers. And I got an A plus. Feel good about that. And, uh, and so and then we'll go into the season and I'll be talking about it all the time with people. So if you ever want to talk football, I'd love to talk football. And, um, and I'll be listening to fantasy football radio every time that I'm in my truck. So I listen to fantasy football radio on Sirius XM. And I'll, I'll set my team every single week. And I'll watch all the games that I can. And I'll watch all the stats and all my players so I know how I'm doing. And, and I'm, then I'll tweak it the next, the next week. And I'll change my players all in hopes that by the time all is said and done, I will have a second championship under my belt. I am devoted to fantasy football. What's that? It is obsession. Yeah, maybe, maybe obsession would have been the right word. But not more than I am devoted to my God. But in much the same way, the level of devotion that we express to God looks very similar. When we're devoted to God, when we're obsessed with him, when we're passionate about him, we do research on him. We want to know as much as we possibly can about him. And so we're studying the scriptures, we're reading, we're trying to interpret and understand. We're going to other sources so that we can learn from people who have come before us, who are reliable. We're trying to learn as much as we can. We're trying to take that knowledge and then we're trying to put it into practice and to live as much like we can as Jesus, to to ascribe to the highest level of holiness that we possibly can, to become as effective for God in life life as we possibly can, to find our area of ministry, to give it all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our passion and all of our energy and to be as devoted to God, not hoping that we'll make the team, we're already in the league, but that we will win the championship. Like Paul said, I run as one who's chasing after the prize, the reward that's coming. That level of devotion. And I want to ask you, you know, one of our values at Carolina Family Church is hungry. We want to be spiritually hungry, driven, and passionate, salivating at the idea of becoming more like Christ. And I just want to ask you, as you go into the fall, are you devoted to God? Are you obsessed with him? Are you passionate about him to that level? And the way that we express that, that attitude of our heart, is by setting rhythms of devotion. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I'd like you to think about whether you're doing that and whether your calendar says you're doing that. We express this by dedicating times of study and Bible reading at least once a day, reading God's word, digging into it to understand it. Times of prayer, 
set aside at least once a day a time of prayer. And then throughout the day, speaking with him, going to him in prayer. Not just when we need him, but to express our love and devotion to him. These are rhythms. The rhythm of giving, the rhythm of worship, the rhythm of devotion that needs to exist in our life. And as you're thinking about your schedule this fall, is that the number one rhythm? Nothing else gets in its way. Nothing else pushes it out of its spot. It is the most important appointment on your calendar. We have devotion to God. We have the rhythm of relationships with other people in our family, within our church, outside of our church. We have the rhythm of rest built in, and we have the rhythm of productivity. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably look at that list and think, that's a little overwhelming. (laughs) I'm not sure I have time for all of that. But I'll tell you that God has given you exactly enough time to do all of that and not a bit more. That God has given you all of the time that you need in order to do what he's called you to do. So if we find that we don't have time to do all of those things, it's because something has crept into our schedule that's not on the list. Or something that's on the list has taken more time than it needs. And that's where I want to encourage you to go to God in prayer and ask him to highlight those things for you. Maybe he already has as you've been sitting here. You say, there's one thing on this list I've been missing and there's one thing I've been spending too much time on. Or there's something that's not on the list that I know that's been stealing my time so I haven't been able to do what I'm supposed to do. So what I want to do is I want to go take us to God right now in prayer and we're going to express our devotion to him and our reliance on him by calling on him for help to help, help us see what he wants us to do. So let's pray together. God, we come to you, and first of all, I want you to know that we love you. And uh, many, many people in this room have put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And I would pray before we, before we go any further, God, I would just ask, you know the state of everyone's heart in this room. You know who has put their faith in you and who hasn't. And if there's anyone with us today, God, who's never put their faith in you, I pray that you would make them, yourself known to them today, very real to them today. That, uh, that they in this moment would feel you calling on their heart, know that you're real. That they in this moment, you would, you would show them that they've sinned, they've fallen short of your standard, but that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for their sins, to pay for them. And that all they have to do in this moment is put their faith in Jesus to pay for their sin believe in his death on the cross, believe in his resurrection, and you save them. You bring them into your family. And that in this moment that there would be someone here who would be making that decision. And that for all of us who've made that decision somewhere along in our journey, we put our faith in you. Some have followed more closely, some have fallen off, but I pray today, God, that you would draw us close and show us that the best life we could possibly live is a life that brings glory and honor to you, that you've shown us how to do that. that we need to work and we need to rest in balance. That that the second most important commandment in the law is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. that you've given us each other to love and to support and to care for, that that you'd help us to prioritize that. And most importantly, the greatest commandment of all, that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, 
with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And I pray, God, that you would be enlightening every single one of us to see where we may not have done that or done those other things. That you would help to develop a plan that we would commit our work to you and that you would establish our plans. You would show us how to do this, what we need to move, what needs to go, what needs to change, what we need to redistribute, what we need to say yes to, no to, so that we can give you all of ourselves in the way you've designed. Pray that you make that very clear to us today and that you help us walk out of here and make some changes, things that will bring honor and glory to you, to live the full life that you've designed us for. And that as we do that, we go with peace and with joy. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.